Today's episode of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by Modern Agribusiness. Combining agriculture and business into one. And modern ride-sharing applications. Allowing drunk people to ride home in a stranger's Honda Civic. Robert! Gregory! Long Beach! Robert! That's what they call me. You, uh, you should have gone to Long Beach, Polly. But I, you didn't. I went there for... Because he was a bitch. I went there for uh, summer school. Yeah, that's true. But you went to, like, uh, the Charlie Chaplin School for the Arts. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Renaissance, but close enough. Robert, today is a day we celebrate. And Why? Episode, episode 10. 10! And it's a round number. Arbitrary. But it means something to us. Well, think back to episode 1. Did you think we would make it this far? <sighs> no, I thought we'd, we'd, it would, it would uh, sputter out somewhere around episode 3. Once one of us was <laughs> like, hey man, I'm not coming into work today. I'm pretty tired. I mean, I thought about it, but... Uh... Sorry, dog. I'm pretty tired. And it's Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We're at 10... I feel like this podcast has a momentum all its own. We are uh, plateauing at about 34 listeners, which is strong to quite strong. Currently. But had you asked us three weeks ago, we were plateauing at 24 listeners. Well, hold on. We've, we, we dug into the analytics, yeah. and none of y'all listened to the Brexit episode, so we won't make that mistake again. But... Because we got outside our lane. That's yeah. politics. Yeah. So That was some dumb shit. We got machine learning here. <laughs> Machine learning tells us don't talk about politics ever. Uh, and then we came, we came surging back with Shaq joins Papa John's and the greatest athlete businessman of all time. Arguably one of our best episodes. So I don't think we'll. We actually, unfortunately, we uh, we kind of blew our load on episode nine. <laughs> so episode ten is going to be <laughs> way worse. But uh, <clears throat> we're going to do our best here. Yeah. Let us start. In the macroeconomics <laughs> corner, quick update. The yield curve inverted for one day last week and a couple more days this week. It is reverted. It's back to normal? It's back to normal. So are we back to 2020, still the road warrior oil apocalypse triggered by the surge in global shipping demand for middle barrel crude? Middle barrel crude, excuse right. me, but not the worst year in human history. Well, the inverted yield curve was just one of many factors. Um, it's still going to be a bad year, maybe not the worst in human history, uh, maybe not top five, but, you know, my my expectations are still low for... But, we, listen, you're, everyone who listens to this podcast, thank you, all 34 of you, which include you and me. So there's really like 32 people besides us. And whoever's playing this on multiple devices, <laughs> thank you as well. Yeah. John Alvin, if you've listened to this 10 <laughs> times accidentally, we thank you for it. Uh, I would say this. You'll get sick of, it, sick of uh, hearing us say it, but the great oil crisis of 2020 is our big bet. We're staking this entire podcast... On oil demand surging in 2020, <laughs> I've bought in on ExxonMobil. So far, it's made me a negative return relative to the S&P, <laughs> but fuck you if you think it's going to make you money this year. 
Okay. We were clear about that. The international maritime <clears throat> regulations are going to create the great oil surge of 2020 and potentially create a death spiral. By the way, I haven't joined you yet, but I will 100% join you in in the oil play when the time comes. When the time is right. Arguably, I got in way too early because it's March 2019. Arguably, <laughs> objectively. But you're also a sensible value investor. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. And you don't time the market. I do. No, you do. I sensible do. value investors don't don't time the market. market. By the way, I think that's just something that like mutual fund managers said, so that like people wouldn't question what they're doing. Listen, don't try to time the market. Yeah, obviously, timing is everything. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, so I think the big story in the macroeconomics corner this week uh, might not seem like it, but this is a special one. So the the U.S. Committee on Foreign Investment orders an obscure, seemingly obscure Chinese company, Beijing Kunlun, <laughs> to jettison its majority stake in Grinder. My God, Robert, <laughs> did we have any idea that Grinder was owned by Chinese businessmen? First of all. No, no. That's big no. surprise there. Okay, why, though? Why, you may ask. Um, well, the answer, I think, could potentially blow apart the, I would say, slow-moving trade talks between U.S. and China, which there was an arbitrary deadline set for some treatise that was supposed to happen on March 2nd. They've blown right past this. So why, Robert, would the U.S. concern itself with Chinese ownership of Grinder, tell me why. Well, it, it sounds to me like they're concerned about privacy and the fact that the Chinese government has no problem saying, "Hey, everything you have, give it to me." They they can claim whatever information they want from Chinese companies at all times. It's a digital platform with Americans, right. Americans <clears throat> who use it. And there's information about those Americans on the platform. Right. So, in theory, the Chinese government could use that information to... Well, let's get out of the realm of the theoretical. Uh, I assume that the Chinese Cyber Warfare Division has just a direct pipe of surveillance on every Chinese private enterprise in the world, right? We could safely assume that. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, okay, maybe not theoretically, (laughs) but the Chinese government could very well use that, that power to... Um, extort or even blackmail um, private citizens who they think might have ties to the American government. True. Plus, just on the basis of metadata alone, this is a great example brought to the fore in the Wall Street Journal article. Let's say uh, you're surveilling the Grindr platform and you just use the metadata. I know that you work in Northern Virginia at the latitude and longitude coordinates of the CIA headquarters. And chances are, if you're that person, you do work in American intelligence, and then we could send our operatives who are in Northern Virginia to try and squeeze you or bribe you or extract state secrets from you. So little did we know, Grinder <laughs> is a backdoor for Chinese espionage. Right? Incredible. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Special I'm, day. I'm I'm, I'm going to overlook that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to overlook the fact that you just said that. Yeah, that was bad. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so more importantly, I think if we zoom out here, uh, really, it sounds like these bilateral trade talks that are happening between the U.S. and China. Uh, this is an emblem of 
the U.S. Uh, foreign policy is just concerned that all the foreign investment that comes from China into the U.S. <clears throat> that brokers its way into tech money, right. which is essentially digital surveillance <clears throat> money, becomes this messy zone where uh, the Chinese state can basically create bridgeheads of espionage across America and potentially compromise anyone who's using any civilian app. Right. And and even if you think back to our first episode where we were talking about Huawei, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's just one of the avenues that they pursue. But even with all the restrictions that the U.S. government plays upon them, they're still one of the leading companies in in what they do. Mm -hmm. So there's only so much we can do to restrict the Chinese... um, Intervention in the global economy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you read anything about the theory of the market state, which Mm -hmm. allegedly follows the nation state, it's what we are in the modern sense, which is basically governments do everything they can to sponsor, in our case, American multinational companies to make profits overseas and do it peacefully. The Chinese market state is becoming stronger and more robust now you're getting to a place where, and this is this is Trumpville, right? Yeah. Trump is a mercantilist. He wants to tariff his way out of the problem. Free trade, a modern theory of free trade, is incompatible with the actual national security concerns of cyber warfare. So if you're a free trade Republican in the conventional sense that you would have been in the Reagan era, 20th century Free trade in the physical world, it just doesn't work in the digital world. Right. Unfortunately, those are competing interests. Yeah, and there are no borders in the digital world. Right. So do we have an answer? No. No. But this story, don't overlook it, because all the world is in this story. I mean, it it honestly seemed like gossip when I read it, but no, the implications of it are... Enormous. Quite real. All right. Let us move to the businesses. Big story this week, Lyft. Enters the public markets. So it opened at $72 a share. Popped at first. Irrational exuberance. Went to $87. And then kind of normalized back down to 78 by the end of the day. But still, right. saw 9% growth from open. Mechanically speaking for Lyft, they didn't leave a lot of money on the table. Separately, you learn they have 18.6 million active riders and a 39% share Right, these are all estimates mm-hmm. of the active rider market. Yeah, which I don't know how they know what Uber has, but they probably can commonsensically get to it. Which implies there are forty-eight million active riders in the United States. Couple thoughts here, Berta. Number one, mm-hmm. there is a because um, this is all domestic market. Right. Number one, that mechanically, as an investor. It's probably worth it to wait if you want beta from the rideshare market for a couple of reasons. One is, as long as they are the only rideshare company on the public market, there will be like an irrationality index for people that just want beta from rideshare, but just from that competitor. So like there will be a market cap to earnings multiple that doesn't make sense until Uber gets in and like equalizes the public market. So for that reason, I would like wait Mm -hmm. because there's probably going to be like a cooling off period after they have a few earnings of like horrifying looking losses. Right. Number two, 
Okay, they have 39% share. We directly know that their share is growing. But, like, as long as Lyft share is growing, that means that, like, the price war between Lyft and Uber is going to perpetuate over time, which means, like, it's not going to be an earnings, good earnings profile in the short term. Well, the, the problem that I see with, with that being the case is that since this is strictly a, a variable cost model, you're, ne- yes. you're never going to actually... So, under penetration of the population with growing penetration is a good thing in a fixed cost model where robots drive the cars. Right. So until the robots drive the cars, I'm out. Yeah. And also as long as like Uber can like pull capital from way more markets. Lastly, uh-huh. uh, the great oil apocalypse that's coming. Fuel prices. Fuel prices. Good, good connection. Didn't even think of that. Um, which is going to force both providers to raise rates, but only in concert with cost accretion. Right. right? Not enough to necessarily. Although that, will that just be burden on their drivers? Cause yeah. they pay for the fuel. Right. But, but then like the but, rider, the, but, or the drivers, <laughs> the drivership will go down. Yeah. Therefore offering fewer rides. But also, also one, they offer fewer rides, but if prices necessarily, if prices exceed that of fuel costs, then people like me won't necessarily ride it as much. So, the yeah, whole, pr- if prices yeah. go up on balance, right, ridership right. goes down. Whether right. the cost is passed to the drivers, meaning supply comes down, right, or and the riders, meaning demand goes down. No, I was actually reading something that somebody who works at Uber corporate mm-hmm. basically wrote something uh, trashing the company about how blatantly they exploit the they exploit the drivers, which it's means, the entire business model, right? In fact. My best friend from college, Avi Ash Shapiro. Who I, like, I like that guy. He's great. He's written a lot about the ride-share economy. In response to all the clamor about the Lyft IPO, what he he brought out, which I thought was very instructive, uh, Lyft and Uber actually like are heavily subsidized by the federal government because a fifth of all ride-share drivers are on food stamps and something like huh. a similar proportion are on Medicaid or whatever the one isn't for old people, Medicare, Medicaid, not sure. I think it's Medicaid. Yeah. That sounds like, sounds right. So yes, to your point, like there is an underclass in the economy that the entire rideshare business model is built on top of. Now and their that, very survival is subsidized by the federal but government. But does that 20% exceed the national average? a good point well i would say this a company with employees or contractors as the case may be Mm -hmm. the company we work for no employee that works for that company is on a federal subsidy right okay that makes sense generally private private sector employers of a certain market cap and prestige like their employees just like make enough money to have a living wage this is a model that's like corporate employees who obviously don't need any federal subsidies, but the actual people that do the work of the enterprise are the underclass of America's economy. Fair. Um, so another thing, another dynamic that got highlighted today. By the way, one more wrinkle to add to this. If you read anything about the actual release, is part of the 
success of the actual IPO today was the fact that the founders came out and were impressive to Wall Street, which again, just goes into our narrative that a lot of a corporate valuation can just get into how the founders and the executives are perceived. Elon Musk is obviously the exemplar of this (laughs) dynamic, right? Um, And your pick on Aurora too, right? Uh, Leadership and the perception of credibility could mean everything. Correct. And it doesn't hurt to have Nelson Peltz on your... God love you, Nelson Peltz. Let me ask you a more... I'm in the clouds. I'm at 50,000 feet. Forget about 30,000 feet. 50,000 feet. Sure. Lyft is thought of as a company that rides on its core business, which is rideshare. Lyft is experimenting more. I'm sorry. Uber is experimenting more. One, in the domestic market, they're doing Uber Eats. Both of them are kind of experimenting with scooters. But... Probably the biggest difference in the domestic market is that Uber is foraying into food delivery. Obviously, the scale of Uber vastly trumps what Lyft is doing. Is there a sustainable model in this entire ecosystem in 20, 30, 40 years when it's mature? Yes, in the sense that it will become an indispensable part of people's lives. Um, I don't drive and I don't cook, which means Uber basically runs my life alongside, alongside Google. So for the record, you can barely see. Correct. Correct. Um, It might be different if you had better sight. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, so I think if, if they capture enough of the market, then yes, you get to the point where you can jack up prices and, and make a profit that way. Um. Actually, uh, movie pass comes to comes to mind. Yeah, dollars dollars for pennies. Not yeah. a good business model. No, but but they tried. Mm-hmm. They, they tried. Try. They failed. But well, <clears throat> okay. So the only if if you and I were starting a business, sure, which we have in this podcast, a business where we pay money to never make <laughs> money, right? We're doing it right. So it's a basic rideshare model. Uh, in the future, whoever wins the spoils, or if it's a duopoly, or it's more entrance, the only way you make money is with robot drivers. Yes, check, right? You would agree with that? Of course. It's got to be robot drivers, because means that means it's a fixed cost model in accelerating penetration market environment. So that's number one. They both have to go to a robot model. In that ecosystem, super capital intensive, I feel like could we be in a monopoly? And in the case where it is a monopoly, Uber's going to win in the long term, right? So even if you're being rational about this, wouldn't you bet on Uber because of scale? Absolutely. Now, I will tell you that their current valuation at uh, five times that of Lyft, it scares me a little bit. But I think their revenue is about that multiple, if not more. Hmm. Well, un- unfortunately, we won't actually get a clear. The problem plan. is that yeah, the problem is the multiple doesn't make any sense as long as they're both losing vast amounts of money. Correct, correct. So I mean, once once it actually goes public, which my understanding is it should in the next couple of weeks, uh, I, I will have a better understanding of it. But at the moment, they both scare me. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. At the end of it all, <clears throat> don't get in this game right now. No, 
there will come a time. There will come a time. They, time they will, will de- come. They will definitely be viable in the long term. But uh, as far as making money on the stocks is concerned, yeah, it's going to be a volatile ride. I think it's safe to say until a viable robot car solution actually is on the horizon, you're going to get drubbed. Right. Taking a flyer on any of these stocks. Agreed. Or at least you're just going to have to accept that volatility is going to be there. Yeah. Which I'm generally okay with. But, uh, again, if if the goal is to make money and as much of it as quickly as possible, there's probably easier ways than... Let's go to it, then. How do we make money this week? A little bit of news. A little bit of genius. Let's get out of lift. <laughs> Let's get out of lift off mode. Okay. We're going to pivot to Bayer. Bayer AG. Yeah, man, they've had a rough week. Rough couple of weeks. Rough month, rough year. Bayer AG, the ancient, prolific German pharmaceutical company of old, right? Uh, they pay the piper again, right? As if, okay, so they've had their struggles with Roundup because they own Monsanto. Right. The evil agribusiness. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know... Roundup is essentially the dominant herbicide that every farmer, gardener, and their mother uses uh, to insulate their crops from ruin. Turns out, based on a couple of court cases, that Roundup is cancer juice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The jury decides clear cancer juice. On top of that, they had to pay a massive settlement for Zarelto, which is a joint venture they have with J&J. It's a blood thinner. It, it turns out it thins the blood too much. Bad. <laughs> it, it works too well. <laughs> it works too well. That's how they should have positioned it. So we read something that was kind of, I think it was intentionally inflammatory, but it was interesting, right? So Mother Jones ran an article about, okay, going back to Monsanto, they paid out a couple of massive settlements reactively. So they went into court with a couple of people that alleged that uh, Roundup caused a form of cancer. Right. And in both of those cases, they were found guilty. So in the opening forays, I think, they thought maybe they could finesse their way past a jury trial. Correct. It turns out they can't. In the latest round, uh, the final settlement to a couple that were uh, using Roundup over, over a period of time was $78 million. Uh, But this is just starting to open the can of worms. There are still potentially 11,000 more plaintiffs. And the person who wrote the Mother Jones article said, if you assume that all of these plaintiffs get the same reactive settlement that these people just got now, that those losses would be $60 billion in accrued liability and would basically amount to the current market, not market cap, because the market cap's not that high, but the potential valuation of bear. So said differently, just the legal liability could sunder the entire company, right? right. Scary shit. <laughs> it is, yeah. If you're bear, they do have a path out and they could just start to proactively start settling cases with all potential plaintiffs and that could limit their li- legal liability. So originally I thought maybe this week, this is the time to buy a flyer on Bayer AG and value play it because they're going through some short-term hazard. And it turns out, just like Boeing, who the fuck knows where the floor is on this one? Right, right. Um, so I think we can approach this from a perspective of, look, 
people need weed killers. Like there's there's no way of getting around that. I mean, you can risk a little cancer or you can go to a competitor. So you looked into the weed killing environment for us, didn't you? Uh, not weed killing specifically, but you know, chemicals. Chemicals. So, so I'm giving you the alley. Lay it down on me. Dunk the oop. Tell me how to play this because at least in the next couple years. Stay the fuck away from Bear if you were thinking about it. There were a couple of flyers on the internet before even the Zarelto came out that this is the time to buy Bear. I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. I did see I did see a strong buy call on Bear right before the Zarelto thing came out, which, yeah, that article did not age well. <laughs> uh, so what I'm going to point you to, now, this is not my stock of the week. This is just an, we're al- talking here. an, an alternative as we're having a conversation <laughs> between friends. <laughs> Uh, Dow DuPont. For the record, uh, none of this could ever be held against us in a court of law. Please don't sue us if you ever listen to anything we actually recommend. Except the great oil crisis. That's legally sound. (laughs) Again, John Alvin, if you're listening, don't do it. Um, But, uh, no, Dow DuPont. Realistically, what competitors does, does Bayer have in the chemical space? There aren't many. It's, it's like kind of a global duopoly, right? There are a couple of like European companies that do seed work, like literal seeds, right? Not seed funding. And then these are the only two chemical herbicide companies in the earth, apparently. Right now, now Dow Dupont has been going through a bit of a rough patch themselves, um, but but they are on the verge of completing their breakup into three separate companies. Um, so one that's generally intended to unlock value and they tend to have a couple of big supporters, um, pushing for that. So the technicals support that, um, there could be a turnaround in the not too distant future. Full disclosure. I haven't actually looked at if you buy Dow DuPont today, what exactly is the distribution of whatever it is you're getting from the three different companies? So I'd like to get some clarity on that, but, uh, my presumably, pres- presumably, if you bought in today in the combined company, you would in the equity environment. I don't know, get a stake in the three spinoffs. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume so. It was structured that way, right? Yeah. Now, um, it does also help that um, the news of, of Bear came out while Dow Dupont guided down on their revenue, and instead of falling, the stock actually went up today. Um, from a technical perspective, that's generally a good thing. Well, and you know that I reacted strongly, to quite strongly, to where the stock is versus the 200-day moving average. You did. I did. I was wrong, because I'm stupid. <laughs> but there's something there. There is something there. there uh, again, um, it's not my stock pick of the week, but if you wanted to play this bear catastrophe... If we wanted to throw the wide receiver open... Sure, sure. If you see if you see Antonio Brown <laughs> with like a six foot clearance in the DB, DWDP, DWDP, Dow Dupont, Dow Dupont. Well, really though, we're throwing into a a soft spot in a zone defense though. Yeah, yeah. And if we're inaccurate or if we're wrong, and it's actually Tampa two, it's a Ma- it's, it's a Malcolm Butler. It's situation. a pick six. <laughs> It's a real, correct. It's a real Malcolm Butler. Uh, yeah, I feel so. A couple things to round out your point. 
because you guided me to the Dao Dupont thing, which is smart. Because I, as I told you, I was getting bloodthirsty about Barry G. I was like, now's the, now's the time. We should look at Bayer, Robert. Now's the time. And then we found out that 8 million farmers in the earth could sunder the entire company. So now I still think if Bayer, just so everyone knows, if yeah. Bayer somehow weathers this liability crisis, it comes out surviving. You pour money back into it. Absolutely. You plow it right back in. Absolutely. So there is a push-pull here. In the interim, I think DWDJ. P. P. <laughs> Good play. Yeah. And you ride that out until Bayer goes out of business or doesn't go out of business. Correct. And if they go out of business, you double down on DWDJP. And if Bayer AG stays in business, you exit your position in DWDJP. Just just DWDP. Whatever. Yeah. And you double, triple down on Bayer. Absolutely. Strong play. Absolutely. I mean, play action. I mean, you threw the receiver open. Now we're going to play action. I mean, w- w- one of the smartest things I heard is like, yes, people don't like Roundup, but you can't stop using it. It's the only, from what I understand, it's a monopolistic herbicide. Yeah. The, I, I assume, listen, we haven't dug into it enough because agribusiness is not in the cloud. Complex, it's not in the cloud. My God, how far outside of our <laughs> lane are we here? We're in literally the the most ancient occupation that ever exists. <laughs> we started a podcast titled The Cloud, and we're talking about agriculture. Yeah. You, you tell me. The world's first occupation, our ancestors have been farmers for millennia. They did everything they could to get us in the cloud, and now we're back talking about plants. Yeah. Yeah. But agribusiness... We've come full circle. Yeah. But in this case... Well, I would say this is actually a pretty conventional play, right? If you have a if you have a company that has a sound core business model that has been around since 1863, which is Bear, and they can actually survive something like this because Roundup is one of the most successful products to ever exist in the history of capitalism. Quick quick sidebar on that. One of the things I don't understand is literally everything causes cancer. Everything. Like, why wouldn't you just stick a, a warning sign on this? It's true. The court mechanics, I don't even understand. The burden of proof. Like, how did they get there? Right. I mean, McDonald's tells you that their fries cause cancer. Well, this has a lot of parallels, I think, with the uh, you know the tobacco liability suits of the late 90s. They survived it. They did. And now they're diversifying into marijuana. So I'm confident in the long run that Barry AG will live. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to. It has to. Uh, well, anyway, that's our... I'm not going to call it the stock tip of the week. It's not. It's the stock watch of the week. It is. How are you doing in the rest of your holdings? Oh, Tough one. I've been dreading this. It's okay. I really have. Now's the time. Tell the people what you know. <clears throat> so, in the books, officially in the <laughs> books, I'm 1-0. Oh. Officially. <laughs> Unofficially, I don't like the sound of that. You're you're calling out technicalities right now. I mean, what's what's unfortunate about this is that this comes right on the heels of me basically <laughs> proclaiming to be a fucking genius. Yeah, yeah, I still believe in you. <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing mm-hmm. okay. 
Um, so I still have four holdings. Cisco, Aurora Cannabis, EEM, and CVS. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Cisco, since I first uh, recommended it, um, the S&P is up 5%. The stock itself is up 14.3%. Um, the options I own are up 60 Nail it. Nailing it. Uh, Aurora Cannabis. It had a down week, but still doing all right. Um, since I recommended it, the S&P is up 2.1. The stock is up 30.2. The options I hold are up 58. By the way, you keep telling me, like, I know, like, you would have made 30% on the stock if you had bought it, Greg. Yeah. But, like, you can still buy it and you'll still make money and I still don't do it and I'm stupid for not doing it. I mean, I it's actually, a winner. I've actually bought more of this since I've recommended it. So I'm giving you the update as of the price when I recommended it. But um, the case for Aurora is is still continued upside, strong to quite strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've bought more as time has gone on. Um, EEM, um, tough one, tough one. <laughs> um, the sorry, the ETF is flat since uh-huh. I recommended it. Uh, the S&P is up 1.5%. The options are down 5 So It's Brexit. It's Brexit's fault. It's Yeah. So absolutely. let's move on. Brexit and Jerry, we can overlook that. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> CVS. CVS had a tough week. Now, <laughs> now I, to be honest, as I've thought about CVS, I've been blaming everybody and their grandmother on why <laughs> CVS is down. Uh, part of it was Bayer, part mm-hmm. of it was our, you know, the president, part of it was, I don't know, the wind was blowing in the wrong direction, but sure. it didn't have a good week. Uh, the stock is down three and a half, uh, the S&P is flat, and the options are down 15. I'm going to give you credit where, where credit's due, though. Let's say you put equal money positions in everything you were recommended, on a weighted basis, you'd be crushing it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Absolutely. fuck that. Now, now. Don't sound defeatist. You have nothing to apologize for. It's a portfolio of interest, and the portfolio is strong to quite strong. It is It is doing quite strong, yes. There you go. Um, but there you have it. So what we're going to do, I'm not going to say you're welcome, America. I'm going to say, America, listen next week. I'm going to have a more concrete power play with the agribusiness chemical companies that we talked about that I'm going to do myself. I'm going to take a flyer on Dow Jones. Dow DuPont. Yeah. Sorry. Dow DuPont chemical conglomerate ipso facto. And I'm going to come in with a long-term hedge on Bayer, which I've already basically talked about. But I'm going to take a flyer on the first one. All right. I believe in you. I'm going skin in the game here because I like the technicals. And I'm new to the technicals. You're teaching me. I am. But I feel good about throwing the receiver open here. Now it's going for a pick six, 100%, <laughs> but we're going to do it. So in the future, you're welcome, America. But for now, pick six. <laughs> Farewell. Farewell. All right. Number 10, Robert. We nailed it. <laughs>